Once again, good morning, brethren. Mike, I appreciate you reading that scripture. I appreciate it very much, but I gave you the wrong one. <laughs> I think I gave you Luke and I wanted John, but that's okay. No, that's okay. Oh, there it is. I couldn't find it in there this morning. Of course, I, I have my glasses, couldn't find it. He didn't have his, and he could read. Thank you, Jason. I think we're ready to go now. Sorry for that. Once again, I'd like to welcome everybody, especially those of you who might be visiting with us. I would ask this morning that you would have your Bible in one hand and a songbook in the other. Now, you can do that literally or figuratively. Because we're going to look at some scriptures, we're going to say some things, and we're going to look at some songs. Show of hands, who likes to receive a gift? Who likes gifts? I see a lot of hands. Man stops at a florist one day on his way home. He goes in and he picks up some flowers for his wife. I want you to keep in mind, for you, for me, throughout this lesson. He enters the front door and he says, hi honey, I'm home. Here these are for you. Her response, you did? For me? Why, thank you, sweetie. She gives him a big hug and a kiss. Now, in some cases, the response might be, you did, what have you done? The flowers aren't going to fix this. But for today, let's just stick with, why, thank you, sweetie, and a hug and a kiss. A little while later, her birthday rolls around. They come every year, but we only count them every three or four years. So he takes her out to dinner, and he presents her with a nice gift and says, happy birthday, sweetheart. This is for you. And she responds, for me? Why, thank you, darling, and gives him another big hug and a kiss. He might even be in good standing for a few days now. Things might go real well, and that, of course, is depending upon the gift. We all love receiving gifts. Sometimes the gift is more precious because it is a gift of giving of yourself. You're not supposed to talk on the pulpit about my family and my wife and my grandkids, but sometimes you just can't help it. I love my grandsons like nobody in this world. And they love Papa. Thank you. They love Papa better than anybody else in this world. Now, I'm a little biased to that statement, but I'm sure you understand. Mary, on the other hand, operating under the alias of Mimi in our house, is always buying, bringing, making, or doing something for or with our grandsons. And it's a wonderful thing to watch. The boys are well aware of this gift, this phenomenon that happens every time Mimi shows up. There's a present of some kind or something special going on. They often say, Mimi, what did you get for me? Or she will say, I got this for you. Yes, we all love gifts. Some people love to get them. Some people love to give them. After all, isn't giving to someone an expression of our love or our affection from the giver to the receiver? 
But let us not forget, brethren, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's not as much fun, but it's more blessed to give. My personal belief is that praying for someone is the greatest gift you can give to an individual. Why might I think that? Because for one, if you can, and you are praying to the God of heaven, to our Father, it's an indication that your relationship with him is intact, in good standing, where it should be. Because when it's not, we often find ourselves not praying as much because our relationship with him is separated due to something we've done because he would never separate himself from us. Secondly, what could be possibly be of greater benefit to someone who is in need, who is discouraged, who is hurt, hurting, ill, injured, depressed, whatever state you would call, than for having somebody of God's family in prayer for you. I know in my times of desperation or need, nothing comforts me more. Sure, I like to receive a gift the same as anybody else, but knowing that somebody who has a relationship with the Father is going to him on my behalf, what a wonderful, wonderful gift that person gives to me. We pray to God for all of our needs, for all of our desires, for all the things we want. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, we read in verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow sh shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He knows the things that we need. He provides the things that we need. He gives us these things on a daily basis. And this is talking about the physical things, like we get physical presents. But he also provides gifts for us far, far beyond that measure. In God and Christ, we have many, many gifts and blessings. Who does not know what John 3.16 says? Members of the church, our denominational friends, particularly the Baptists, I know that they say a lot. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall have eternal life. We all know that verse. He gave us the gift he so loved the world, us, the worldly people, that he gave his only son, his only son. And those of you with children, especially if you have an only child, know how great that love is and how much that loss is when you lose one. Our neighbor across the street lost their only daughter about eight years ago. She died behind the wheel of a car having a heart attack. She was our oldest daughter's friend that they grew up together. 24 years old. They lost their only daughter. They have a small area in the back of their yard on their patio, a, a praying area where they pray because they, they grieve that loss. But he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son with the stipulation that whosoever believeth on him shall have everlasting life. God loved us. 
that God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 4 and 5, God's love caused him to act toward us with mercy. Love is an attribute of God's nature. And it is why he relates to us with mercy. In the same way as God's nature is also truth. Therefore, he is faithful unto us because he said he would. And he's a truthful God. The Bible says God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God's love is not just an abstract principle. It is observable in the human course of events by his intervention in our history to seek and to save that which is lost. We can look back in our lives. We can see those that are members of the church can see that we were lost and we've been saved because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his gift of his son. We have eternal life. He owed us nothing. He's our creator. He has given us and he is our all. He gave us nothing. I mean, he owed us nothing. But he gave us everything. He gave us his all. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Second Corinthians 8, 9, 8th chapter, verse 9. He's become our example. He's become our savior. And he says, and to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, 30, 32, and chapter, through chapter 5, verse 2. He loves us very much, and quite simply put, he desires what is absolutely best for each one of us. Turn to John, the 14th chapter, not Luke. John, the 14th chapter. He puts stipulations on us. His love is free. He gives it to us, it to us without reservation. But he does give it to us with stipulation. And in John, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 15. If, if is a stipulator. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. What a strong statement that is. I will pray the Father. Who's speaking here? It's Jesus. I will pray to the Father. And the same as if you were to pray for another, or another were to pray for you, you realize the value in that and the comfort it brings. But to have Jesus, the Son of God, say, I will pray the Father on your behalf is so strong. And then he's going to give us another gift within that same sentence. And, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And who is that comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He's given us, us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the gift of prayer through his son, Jesus the Christ, and gives us that spirit, and gives us that spirit, and gives us that spirit, 
And I say that because he continually dwells in you and abides in you. He says, if you keep my commandments, and I will pray. Jesus prayed for us, and he will give you. In Acts 2.38, he tells us how we receive that gift. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's conditional also. It has a stipulation. Repent and be baptized. There are stipulations to your baptism to put you into salvation. You hear the word, you repent, you confess his name. But when you are baptized, you're forgiven of your sins and you receive that gift, the first gift of salvation, coinciding with the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us every day. And every one of you who have been baptized has that spirit dwelling in you. And I appeal to you to listen to that spirit. Let it guide you. Pray to the Father for that spirit to work within you that you might do his will. Then notice the exchange of love in verse 21. He that hath my commandments, stipulation, he that has them, and keepeth them, stipulation two. First you have to have it, then you have to keep it. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. We see how these circles of the relationship work within. Like a family, like citizenship as we talked about this morning in our class. They all intertwine and revolve within. There's an intersection of your relationship with God and your brethren. And we pray for one another. We pray to God, we pray with and for each other. And then look at verse 24, it's repeated. Judas had asked him, how would it be manifested? Now, we all know who Judas is. There's always something underlying. How would this be manifested? In verse 23, he said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. Repeat of the earlier verse. And my father will love him, and we, we, now it's the father and the son, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The love of God is exemplified through these writings in 1 John 4 through 9, 4, 9 through 11, where it states, In this love, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. And there's that word manifest again. What is a manifest? In transportation, in trucks, and in taxi cabs, in other areas, you have a manifest. If you're in a truck, the driver has a manifest. What is on board? What's behind him? It's a list of the items. Sometimes it's the dangers that they present. Sometimes it's the goodness of medication. Sometimes it's bombs to help protect you. You have a whole different array of items that are carried behind that driver. In the taxi cab, he puts a manifest, manifest of who is in my vehicle and where is it going? Jesus manifests himself in us. In this love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved him, loved us, we also ought to love one another. Not just because it's a good idea, but because it's an instruction from God's word. His mercy and his grace. Turn in your songbooks, if you will, 
to number 237. Who was his grace given to? I presume that we've all been in the ocean before, or most of us, or been by the ocean, or seen a picture of the ocean. We all know what the ocean is. Whether you've been in it and realized the depths of the ocean. I've gotten into some deep pools. I love playing in the deep end, and I'll get down eight feet if it's an eight-foot pool. Or if I get in the ocean, I'll get in stay in there for a couple hours and play in the water. But if it gets a little too deep, I get a little nervous because it's too deep. But his grace reaches deeper than the ocean. Have you ever walked out to the sea? There's a lot of Navy guys, not here today, but that are here, Kevin, for sure, having been out on the ocean and the seas. When you see the expanse of the sea, You've heard Red Sky at Night Sailor's Delight, Red Sky Morning Sailor, take warning. When you get out on that sea and you see the beauty in the expanse of that sea, it's one of the most amazing things in the world to see. And when you're on that dark sea and a storm comes up and that boat's going 50 feet up in the air and coming back down, it's one of the most fearful things you'll ever see in your life. Because you're in the dark, you don't know the direction you're taking. You're listed on the manifest as being present, but you have no idea where it's going to take you. But with God's grace, undeserving, it reaches me, brethren, and it reaches each one of you. Because in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 4 through 6, says, God being rich in mercy. He's a merciful God. He provides us with mercy. He provides us with grace. He provides us with his son. He provided us with the Holy Spirit. He provides us with salvation. I like these gifts, and they are free gifts from God with stipulation, with stipulation, because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raises us up together with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's where he takes us. It's not a dark sea. There's no fear. We're going to be with him in heavenly places. And again, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The stipulation is through your faith you're being saved. Not that of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works. There's nothing we can do except through him. That no one should boast for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. From the beginning, it has been so. Some of the songs that we sing, and now it's time for the songbook part. Turn to number 270. This reiterates what I talked about just a few minutes ago at the beginning. I'm sure we're, we're, most of us are familiar with this song. I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. He's a dear, loving Savior. Though earth friends be few. He didn't have many friends on this earth. He's watching in tenderness. But oh, that my Savior were your Savior too. We sing these songs with so much meaning. 
sometimes just like Paul said, I like that you do this, but then it gives you a negative. In a lot of these songs and in a lot of the scriptures, there are this, but. Or if you do this, the stipulation is then you will get that. He's a dear, loving Savior. In verse 3, at the end it says, And oh, could I know it was given to you. Back up a couple pages to number 268. We're going to look at the pro and con of this. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed. Verse 2. My father's house of light, my glory circled throne. I left for earthly night. Then verse 3. I suffered much for thee, more than your tongue can tell. He suffered more than we could ever speak. Verse 4. And I have brought to thee, down from my home above, he left heaven and gave us salvation, full and free. Turn over to number 336. Here's a good for me. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest for me so weak and sinful? Verse 2, is it for me, thy welcome, thy gracious enter in, speaking of his grace? For me, thy come ye blessed, for me so full of sin? Verse 3, O Savior, precious Savior. And precious denotes a lot. My heart is at thy feet. I bless thee. And I love thee. And thee I long to meet. In verse 4, I'll be with thee forever. We know that the things of this world are, are temporary. They're for a fleeting moment. He'll be with us forever. And forever, and forever, and that is a long, long time. Our invitation song is number 584. Turn there for just a second. I'll try to be brief. We're running out of time too quickly. Softly and tender, Jesus is calling. Who is he calling? Calling for you and calling for me. Verse 2, why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, verse 4, promised for you and for me. Brethren, I can't say enough. I love these gifts. Everybody loves a gift. He calls to you and he calls to me. God has given his love, his grace, his mercy, his spirit, salvation. And as one song reads, he gave it all that I might live in his presence live. And we know that song. And he gave it to you and he gave it to me. What's God done for you, brethren?
you individually. I'm asking you. And I asked the same of me when I prepared this. And I read Ephesians 2. Look at that with me for just a minute, and the lesson will shortly be yours. In Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Forty-four years ago, brethren, that's where I was. I was dead in my trespasses and in my sin. And formerly walked according to the course of this world, and nothing could be truer. I walked the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of flesh. Now, no accusations. Did that apply to you before you became a Christian? Hopefully it never would after. But before we became Christians, this was us. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, you and me, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Again, by grace, we were saved and raised up together with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves, but of the free gift from God above through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the spirit which dwells in us. In Luke, the 17th chapter, there were 10 men. There were 10 lepers. These men came to Christ. And of course, we know why they came to him, because they all wanted to be healed, as so many others did when they saw his power and ability to do these things. And what did he tell them? Go before the priest. And when you go before, your pri before the priest, you'll be healed. And just as he said, they went before the priest and they were immediately cleansed. And out of the ten, how many went back to Jesus in thanksgiving? That's right, brother. One. One out of ten went back after they received this gift. Now imagine having leprosy. Imagine not being able to walk. In Sonny's case, he's unable to see. These infirmities, and by the word of Jesus Christ. They got up and walked. They saw. They were healed. What gifts? One came back with thanksgiving. One. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verse 12, it says, talking about spiritual growth, that sometimes we are still taking milk when we ought to be teachers. That was mentioned again this morning. I, Stuart probably didn't know that I had that in my sermon. There's a progression that we have for, as, from new Christians until our death that we should be taking. There are times when you should be eating meat and teaching others. Now, not everybody's a teacher, but you teach others through your example, through your word, and through your actions. There are many ways to teach, mostly by example, because people learn, he's not like that, she's not like that, he does this, she does that. They know. Where are you today? God has given you and me these gifts. He's given you salvation. He's given you his son. He's giving you the spirit. He's giving you all these blessings. He provides on a daily basis. Are you the one 
who comes back and gives him thanksgiving by your behavior? By coming to class, by coming back to the worship service to be with our brethren. He gives you time and opportunity. He gives you the, the blessing of the church. And we all need to be working together with one another to further that effort, giving thanksgiving to him for the blessings he's given to us. This is an individual question. How long have you been a Christian? Think in your mind. You all know the number of years. You know when you were baptized. You know when you grew up in the church, the things you knew. What are you doing with it? Are you still taking milk? If you've been a Christian 10 years and you're still drinking milk, there's something wrong, brother, with me or with you. This isn't... I'm just trying to encourage you to evaluate where you are. Not a criticism or condemnation. I just want to convict you in your heart to look at where you are in your Christian life. Are you still drinking milk when you shouldn't be? And are you the one that returned? Or are you one of the nine who got your blessing, your gift, and moved on? I'd like you to consider that. Because he gave it for you and for me. What is your, your uh, position with the Lord right now? Are you a Christian? Do you know enough to be a Christian and haven't become one? Or have you become one and been complacent in your Christian life and need to turn that around? Consider these things, brethren, and respond as, as according to your need together while we stand and sing.